Hey y'all, uh, welcome again to RUF. My name is Simon Stokes. I'm the RUF campus minister here. And I just want to say uh, thanks for being here and uh, worshiping tonight with us. I know that there's a lot of uh, campus ministry ad drops still going on, uh, but <laughs> we're glad that you're with us. And um, we hope that you get something out of tonight, even if you never come back, um, that you would hear God's grace and truth in Christ and in his word. Um, so here at RUF, we talk a lot about the Bible uh, and that's because we uh, we don't, and that's not necessarily because we believe uh, that it's easy to read, or that even everyone here is kind of on the same page with us about it. But it's because we think that the Bible is good and it's true, and that it's the way that we best learn who God is and who we are. And one of the things uh, that we do generally uh, here is not go through kind of a topical sermon series, but we actually go through books of the Bible. And this semester we're going through the Book of Psalms. Uh, which kind of winds up being pseudo-topical because there's 150 of those things and we can't get through all of them in a semester. So I'm going to kind of pick and choose as I go through. But things that I thought would be most relevant to y'all and relevant to people here at UNC. And so tonight we're going to look at Psalm 1, which is kind of like the pregame highlight video showing you what's coming up. Uh, You know when you go to like a sports game, it's like basketball and football and someone's like getting tackled and the music is hype uh, or someone's like slam dunking and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what this psalm is like. Um, if you can say that about a psalm. Uh, But essentially what it's saying is it's giving you a preview of what's to come, but what's different from it in a highlight video is it's saying don't just sit back and watch other people play the game. It's saying come in and play it yourself. Like Come in and participate. This psalm is the gateway into the rest of the psalms. It shows us what kind of people will encounter. The righteous, the wicked, God, asking what's the difference between these what do we do with all this stuff? And how do we live in, as fallen people in a fallen world with God? And so, uh, I'm going to read this psalm here. I'm going to pray for us and we'll get started. This is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, you know our ways, and you know the ways in which we walk through the world. And God, oftentimes that feels really lonely. It feels like we walk by ourselves even when we're surrounded by people or even when we're surrounded by friends. But God, we pray that you would be with us tonight and you would walk with us through this psalm. And that by walking with us through this psalm, we wouldn't just leave here by ourselves, but we would walk with you now and forever. In your name we pray. Amen. What would it take for you to be really happy? What would it take for you to feel like, you are a truly blessed person. We had a girl in our ministry a couple years ago, and I guess it was like 2013, so like right when I first got here. And uh, she was a senior that year. She uh, had gotten tickets to the Duke-Carolina game like when it was here, which was awesome. And she was very excited about getting these tickets because I think she'd, she had never been able to get to one of the games before. It was just impossible to get tickets at that time. And the few days before the game happened, she kind of had some chest pains. Like, it kind of been hurting a little bit in her chest, but not bad enough to kind of stop. She was pretty busy, but it was kind of hurting some. So she goes to the game. She's on the bleachers, great seat, painted up. 
Uh, super excited. And we beat Duke. We beat Duke here at Carolina, and it's amazing. And she rushes Franklin Street. So, like, the bottom of the Dean Dome, all the way up, like, this sea of Tar Heel Blue flowing through the campus, goes all the way up to Franklin Street, is jumping over burning couches, uh, yelling at people, high-fiving, selfies, the whole deal, till way late in the night. And the next day, she wakes up, and she's like, man, my chest is killing me. Like, killing me. So she goes to urgent care with a roommate, and they do an x-ray on her chest, and it turns out she's had a punctured lung for like the last four days. And nobody can figure out how it happened. She still, we still don't know how it happened. This girl loved Carolina basketball. Though, didn't she? <laughs> like, like, super fan number one, right? <laughs> like to go to the Duke UNC game with a punctured lung and do the whole thing standing up, screaming and yelling, and run from the bottom of the Dean Dome all the way up to Franklin Street and to hop over all those burning couches all night and then go to urgent care. You're tough, lady. You're real tough. Look, y'all, I tell that story because I think that what we delight in, I think the source of our joy and our happiness, I think that's what shapes us. And that shapes how we go in the world, the way we walk in the world, what we do, what we won't do. Like, what... What would you have to love for you to be really happy? What would you have to love for you to be, consider yourself as really being blessed? Would it take being really well-known, really famous, like strangers finding over you? Nicole, will you hit the next slide here? Yes. Um, Selena Gomez, like a, something like 124 million Instagram followers, super famous. At the 2016 American Music Awards, she said this. She said, I had everything, and I was absolutely broken inside. And I kept it all together so I'd never let you all down. But I kept it too much together to where I let myself down. Like, man, she had, like, so many people who knew her. She was so famous. Like, who here doesn't dream about, man, if I could just get a few more Instagram followers, right? You laugh, but you do. What if you were, like, this sick athlete who made a ton of money? DeMar DeRozan, after getting traded to the Spurs, said this. He said, people say... What are you so depressed about? You can buy anything you want. I wish everyone in the world was so rich they'd realize money isn't everything. Okay, so Instagram followers won't do it. Money won't do it. Being an incredible athlete won't do it. Okay, okay. What about this? What if like that secret romance that you've been dreaming about came along? Like she finally breaks up with her boyfriend and now you know she's into you. Or he finally breaks up with his girlfriend and now he's going to like ask you out. We're going to go old school on y'all. Leo Tolstoy from his novel Anna Karenina. He's got this character, Vronsky. Pursu- I know he's a Russian guy, Vronsky, right? Um, it's going to be my Instagram handle soon. Uh, <laughs> he pursues a married woman, like this whole book, and he finally gets her all to himself around like page 500, so it's a pretty long pursuit. <laughs> I've saved you a ton of time, by the way. <laughs> This is what Leo has to say about Vronsky. Vronsky, meanwhile, despite the full realization of what he desired for so long, was not fully happy. He soon felt that the realization of desire had given him only a grain of the mountain of happiness he'd expected. It showed him the eternal error people make in imagining that happiness is the realization of desires. Okay, so Instagram, money, athletics, romance. What would it take for you to be really happy? What would it take for you to think of yourself as someone who is truly, really, 100% blessed? 
I want to look at this psalm and just ask, how do we get that kind of blessedness, that kind of happiness? I want to walk through this psalm and just ask, what would it mean for us to be blessed at UNC and in participating in the life of God here? So I'm just going to walk us through it. Nicole, you run it back to the verse 1. Thank you. That's why she's the best, y'all. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Y'all, an old, old picture of the way that we go through life is that it's like a journey. It's like a way. It's this process that has a beginning and one day an end is that you go on that way. As you go on that journey, you're doing stuff. But as you do it, you're changed. And all of y'all feel this. Like part of what can make the first semester here at UNC so hard is that there's like this new twist in your journey where you left from being under your parents' house and now you're kind of in this pseudo kind of adult place where you're not like a full-on adult, but you're in like this kind of in-between stage. And you feel the pull of that. You feel the change of that, and that's hard. Because with change, there's both loss and gain. And that's a difficult thing. Some of you, when you graduate next year, are going to feel this. Like here, you're like, you're with your people, you're living in like just squalor in some filthy house somewhere, some dirty apartment. But it's your people, and you love them. And next year, you're going to be working an 8 to 5, and maybe you'll have a roommate, but it's not going to be the same. There's going to be this twist in your journey. And what the psalmist is saying is that the way that we walk through our life shapes who we become. It shapes the attitude of our hearts and our lives, and it shapes how we act and the consequences of those actions. That underneath our sitting, our standing, our walking is this delight, this love, these desires that we have. Next, next verse, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, not his law. He meditates day and night. This delight, it points this feeling of pleasure and satisfaction. It's not just, you know, ah, oh, I have enough. It's that I have more than enough. I have all that I need. This is overabundance and it's mine. There's this deep affection and love here. And for both of these people, both the righteous person and the unrighteous person, the question is, what do you delight in? What do you love? What do you desire? It's that thing that you think about. It's that thing you long for. It's that thing which will draw you through life and that we tell ourselves will give us life and strength. It's this thing that places this kind of eternal stamp on our identity, on who we are. Like, what do you long for? What do you love? Is it Fortnite? For some of us, it is. Is it a to-do list and just kind of checking off accomplishments? Is it finally kind of feeling like, ah, oh, I'm in. I'm in with these people. Look, whoever you are, what you delight in will shape the course of your life. It'll shape who you are. This person, it says here, meditates day and night. That's not like kind of like a trance-like Zen thing, but it's more like chewing and just chewing and chewing and chewing on God's Word. Like kind of, have you ever eaten like a really good steak and you chew on it and chew on it and chew on it and you just don't want to swallow it? You just love like eating? <laughs> Maybe that's me. <laughs> a fat kid inside um, <laughs> but you're, you just want to keep chewing on it and enjoying the pleasure of simply tasting it like, that's what he's saying is what this person is like with God's law and law here is not just ten commandments it's shorthand for the whole story of the Bible so what's the difference in the result of these people's delight look at the, look at the images that are used here the tree and the chaff the tree is not just this channel or this ditch that water flows through it's not like a pipe 
but it absorbs the water. It's sustained by it regardless of circumstances. And in due time, it produces something beautiful and good and unique to itself that gives life. Like it was, It's not water that gives its fruit. It's like the water passes through the tree and the tree has something good to give to the world. But chaff, on the other hand, is separate. It's what's separated from the wheat harvest. It's like if you've ever eaten like a sunflower kernel, there's like that weird like semi-skin thing on it. It's that part of the wheat that nobody wants. And so it's kind of thrown up in the air and gone. It's rootless. It's substanceless. It's not good for anything. And the key difference here is the delight of the heart. The tree and the chaff, they're both people, right? We're talking about people. But the differences in their destiny is what they delight in. It's what they delight in. So what do we delight in? What do we enjoy? Because this is what I want to ask in this. Is this psalm is all about reading the Bible. But what's underneath the reading of the Bible? The hidden commitments of our hearts. The what delights your heart is going to shape your thinking and your actions and your character. That to listen to God's word is to listen to God. To meditate on the Bible is to meditate on God's character and his actions in the world. To delight in the Bible is actually to delight in God himself. And ultimately there's only two different ways to go through life. And the contrast here is between those who are committed to loving God's word and the God who stands behind that word and those who do not. Because what's the righteous person like? Like a tree planted beside streams of water. Yielding its fruit in season, its leaf doesn't wither, and all that it does, it prospers. That from the get-go, the image is of change and growth. A tree is a living thing that grows and changes, like the trees in the pit, right? And this should give us a lot of comfort. Because this is God saying that it's okay that you're a person that's growing and doesn't know what you're going to do with your life, doesn't know who you are yet. I'm 34, I don't know what I'm going to do yet with the rest of my life. I don't know who I am. I know a little bit more than you do, but not like who I am. All of y'all are young. All of y'all are going to make mistakes. You don't have to know what you're doing with the rest of your life. Everyone here is trying to figure out stuff. Like, how do I join a tribe? How do I have friends? How do I get connected to people? What will it mean for me to actually become an adult? Right? Ooh, that's scary. When you figure that out, let me know, seriously. (laughs) Vronsky at Instagram. Uh, (laughs) uh, We're all people who are changing and growing. All of us are. Look, have you ever been to a summer camp? Or have you ever worked at a summer camp? If so, hasn't it been insane to you to see how much change happens in your campers? But at the same time, haven't you also left thinking, man, maybe I was the one who changed the most this summer. Maybe that was me, and maybe that's why God put me here was to actually do something in my life. Like RUF is like this, if you let it, like this hot house of change and growth and development. That usually we are so busy and so immersed in our phones and our time and our schedules that we don't really live with that much life together, especially if we don't like feel like it. But here at RUF we have this kind of wonderful balance of life together. We're planted and watered with the Bible, with God's Word. One of the best things that you can do for a person is help them sink into God's Word and grow from there. One of the best things you can do for yourself is to plant yourself deeply in God's Word and to grow in it. It doesn't mean you have to know everything about it or agree with everything in it or have an answer to every question. But it does mean that you have confidence in that as you read the Bible, 
and you care for yourself and you care for the people around you, God is working in your life. Like whether or not you've ever been part of a community group or a fresh group, whether or not you've ever even done a devotional or not, you can have confidence that as you live in a community that reflects Scripture, as you're led through Scripture, that God will be at work in your life to grow you. Because we're all people in process. We're all changing. I mean, it's a silly thing to ask, I know, but does anyone here ever worry? Are my fingernails growing? Or am I, is my hair growing? Like, no, right? Like, it's just going to happen, right? <laughs> Look, the image here is of a tree that's alive, and it's planted by a stream, and it's just going to grow. It's not worried about, is it going to bear fruit or not? God's not worried about, are you going to bear fruit or not? If you're by the stream, if you're planted by the word, you'll bear fruit. Psalm 1 doesn't just have, place for us to, have a place for us to process things, though. It also, right from the beginning, demands an answer to the question, of where will you draw life and strength? What will eternally stamp who you are? I mean, our tendency is to say, I've got to start with the right techniques. I've got to learn how to like kill the job interview. I've got to figure out how to talk to people. Or, you know, I've got to get the right emotional balance. Like, not too much worry because I want to be kind of chill and fun, but just enough worry to get some work done and apply for things in the future, right? Like, that balance, that's what we're looking for. It usually, for us, changes all about what's in our head or what's in our hands. But what Psalm 1 is saying is that it starts with what you love. It starts right here in your heart. And it's from there that you're going to act. I don't know if, uh, if y'all are soccer fans or football fans, as the rest of the world calls it. Uh, but the World Cup happened this summer. And it was a big deal for most of the world, not for the U.S. because we didn't qualify. Womp womp. But <laughs> there was a game where England was playing uh, a penalty match against Colombia. And it was kind of like where if they won this penalty match, they'd move from basically the Sweet 16 to the Elite 8. And it's one of those moments where if you're like an England fan, that you might forget there was other stuff going on. And so during this penalty match, there was these two middle-aged ladies in the front row of a London theater watching Titanic the musical. And they, it was during the lifeboat scene. You know that scene, right? Like, we're like, Jack is in the water, and he's like freezing, and Rose is like, I'll never let go, I'll never let go. And then she like lets him go. (laughs) I know it's a metaphor, but it hurts. Uh, (laughs) It's that scene, but it's during england Columbia World Cup, and these two middle-aged ladies are on their phone watching this dramatic shootout between England and Colombia, and they're on the front row. So everybody can see it. It'd be like if you were right here watching World Cup, and I'm trying to give a sermon. Like, I know you're doing it. Everybody behind you knows you're doing it. Like, have you ever been to a movie theater and people are, like, on their phone the whole time? It's insane, right? <laughs> These ladies are watching a penalty kickoff between England and Colombia, and the whole theater is, like, furious at them. One cast member later tweets... Dumbfounded, period. Two ladies, one older, one middle-aged, slap-bang front row, clearly watching football and phones during the most poignant moment of lifeboat scene, cheering and giggling like schoolgirls. According to the lead actor, according to the lead actor, the women not only followed the penalty shoot-on on their phone, but they also said, yes, on each goal scored. Seriously, three S's there. When a cast member signaled to the women to put their phone away, like, Kind of like that. They just smiled, gave a thumbs up, and replied, I know, we won. (laughs) Super fans, y'all. Super fans. 
I hear that story, I'm like, how could these ladies be so oblivious? How do they not know? They totally know. They totally know, and they don't give a rip. They don't care that everybody knows that they're like, that's the lifeboat scene for Titanic. They don't care because they love soccer. You don't care about stuff in your life because you love lots of other things. What you love shapes who you are. It shapes what you do. It shapes who you'll pay attention to or who you won't pay attention to. And so the question here is, what do you love? Look, I'm aware of the pitfall of standing up here and saying, you know, righteous people read their Bibles. Like, someone could reply and say, you know, ha, I knew it. I knew it, Simon. I knew that Christianity was just about God making me read a really boring book and making me be, like, a nice person. And he just wants me to, like, toe the line, and that's it. Like, I I knew that's what you were going to say at some point. Because you religious people always say that. Let me suggest another way to think about this. Christianity is not about getting with the program and following a bunch of rules. It's about flourishing in relationship with God. And the Bible is the place where we learn to love God and to love the works of His hands. Every practice in life looks towards this particular goal, right? Look, if you study medicine, the aim of medicine is to bring healing. If you are an athlete, the aim of sports is to win championships. Look, if you're a Christian, the aim of the Christian life is to be blessed in knowing God and living that life out with Him. And so you should read the Bible not to make God happy with you, because that's already happened to the cross. You should read the Bible to make you happy with God. And this is what the psalm is inviting us into, to be happy with God and with who He is. Because that is our peace, and that's our joy, and that's God's glory. So you don't read the Bible to know how to live, though we can do that, but we read it to know the one who made life and who gives it to the full. Look, when you feel really tired and really hot and all your laundry is dirty and the dining hall food is like the same thing that you had last Thursday and you cannot, will not eat it again and you just want to go home or you just want to leave campus and run to the mountains, how will you have joy? How will you have blessing? How will you have happiness? By going to the place where God teaches us happiness. Because He teaches us about Himself. Even in those laundryless, cranky, hot Carolina days. That this is the place where God actually teaches us joy. This is why the Bible is the most practical book in the world. Because it teaches us how to live before God and ourselves and others. Look, do you want to become a wise person? Like a real adult? Not like those fakers? who are like older than you but really don't know what's going on? Like, Do you want to become a legitimately wise person? Like, Chew on the book of Proverbs. Do you want to know how to lead people and how to love people well? Read the Gospels. And before you lead people, learn what it is to be led by Jesus. Do you know what God is like? Do you want to know? Read the full counsel of Scripture. Look, this is why the Bible is primarily about Jesus. Because think about this. How does Psalm 1 point us towards Jesus? When you read the Psalms, what are you reading? You're reading God's prayer book. You're reading the prayers of the only man who could ever look at the first two verses of the Psalm and say, yep, that's me. The one who always thought on God's word. The one who always drew his life from it. The one who delighted in it and never sinned or scoffed at God or took part in anything evil. Yet what happens to him? What's the culmination of his life? He's the one person for whom everything in his life bore good fruit. And he's cut off. 
He's put to death by the counsel of the wicked so that he can stand between sinners and the wrath of God. That for your sake the Lord of joy became the man of sorrows. And yet he's so immersed in God's word that when he's struck down, he bleeds scripture. Did you know that when he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus is quoting a psalm? Why is he doing that? Because God so loves sinners like you and me that he prays their prayers for them, even as they murder him. That Jesus gets sick so that you can get better. Jesus bleeds so that you would be healed. One man represents the whole, showing us the way of life and at the same time giving us his life as it's taken away so that you and I could have it and have it to the full. He gives his life away for free to people like us all the time. But the way that he does it is through his word. It's through his word. And that's what this psalm invites us into. That's what I want to invite you into. It's to really truly know God through his word. So we're going to end with this. I'm a guy from Alabama, and there's not a lot of famous people from Alabama, so we've got like our few. And growing up, one of the ones that we always talked about was Helen Keller. You know her, right? Miracle worker, right? Uh, really, really fascinating lady. She, uh, she was born with sight and the ability here, but when she was really young, like 18 months, she got a horrible disease and she became blind and deaf when she was like a baby. But she was really smart, really hardworking, indomitable in many ways. And her parents had some means, and so they hire a lady named Ann Sullivan to come and teach their daughter Helen, she's like six or seven, uh, sign language. And Ann Sullivan's like signing words into Helen Keller's hands. And finally, Helen Keller makes the connection that the words that are being signed into my hands actually mean something in the world. And it breaks her out of herself. Like she had been imprisoned inside of herself. Like when you think about it, like if you can't see and you can't hear, like you're just going to live in your head and suddenly someone introduces you to the world through these words. And it's beautiful. So Helen, brilliant as she is, hardworking as she is, just devours sign language. And she hears, I, I guess that's not the right word, but she learns. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> it's a colloquialism, fun. <laughs> She learns uh, of someone else who was blind and deaf in Europe who discovered how to talk. Like they figured out how to actually talk. And Helen is like, I'm hardworking enough, I'm smart enough, I'm going to learn how to talk too. And so what she does is she has her teacher, Anne Sullivan, say words. And as Anne is saying the words, Helen is putting her hands on her throat. And Anne is saying more words and she's putting it on her face. And she's saying more words and she's putting it on her lips. And finally, she would sometimes put her hands like in her mouth so she could like feel, because she can't see or hear, so she could feel the words as they come out of her mouth so she can learn, and the only way she can learn, through touch, how to speak, which is awkward and difficult and super intimate. I know. But she learned how to talk, which is incredible for someone who can't hear or see. She learned how to talk by touching her teacher's face. Like, I tell that story because I know that sometimes awkward and hard and difficult just to read the Bible. Like, talking with God feels like it should be the most natural thing in the world. And at the same time, it feels like the most unnatural thing. That we, as fallen people in a fallen world, just show up spiritually blind and deaf and even dead. 
and ourselves. And when God makes us alive, He says, hey, come and learn how to talk to me. Come and learn how to speak with me. Look, I know that is so hard. I know that it's so awkward at times to sit and read and just be by yourself. And there's all these other distractions. I know it feels at times so intimate because you're with you. And you know you. And then you're with God. And He knows you. And what God calls us into is He says, put your hands on my face. Put your hands in my mouth. Put them into my word. And learn the joy of speaking to me and living life with me through that. Like, is that difficult and hard and awkward at times? Yes. Is that real intimacy and real life and real blessing with God? Yes. And that's our offer to you tonight. To know God as He really is through His Word. That's what RUF is. That's what we do. That's what we teach from the Psalms, from Scripture. It's because we think this is the way you actually know God and enjoy Him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you call us into the hard, difficult, and intimate task of knowing you as you really are and knowing ourselves as we really are. God, thank you that you give us your word, the full counsel of who you are, and that you show us your word through Jesus, your word made flesh. God, help us to know him. Help us to follow him. Lord, help us to really love him and delight in him as you made us to love and delight in him. God, redeem us from our sin. Redeem us from our heartache. Open our eyes that we would see and enjoy good things from you and your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.